says, Now as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And when he had said these things, he spat on the ground and made clay with the saliva, and he anointed the eyes of the man with the clay. And he said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. And Father, we ask that even now in this hour, as we continue in an attitude of worship by opening the word of God and looking for you to speak to us personally by the voice of your spirit that you would open our eyes to see wondrous things in your word and that you would speak to us and let us hear the things that we need to receive from you in our lives. So Lord, bless your word this morning. You know what it takes to prepare us and we ask you to communicate now to each one of us personally by your spirit's ministry in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen. You may be seated. I want you to envision for a moment by way of illustration the scene of a really major auto accident. A ton of damage with vehicles, picture badly wounded people and typical to those scenes, they then arrive onto the accident scene, the first responders, what we call the emergency personnel. For example, police officers will show up and they do what they're responsible to do. They begin to secure the perimeter. They want to establish order and begin to investigate what happened. And their primary role and function in that situation is basically to start evaluating what happened to try and determine uh, guilt and liability of what perhaps transpired. They'll be asking a lot of questions of everyone involved to try and figure out what actually happened and kind of why this particular accident has just now happened and to determine who's responsible. And their end goal is sort of to, to flush out the individual maybe who's liable in that situation so they have that understanding. And then, of course, you have other emergency personnel that show up. For example, those we call paramedics. And when the paramedics show up to the exact same scene, their primary role and agenda is basically very different. It's just to assist and to help those who are hurting. Uh, typically, paramedics have honestly absolutely very little interest uh, or give very little attention to understanding who's at fault or why the accident happened. Uh, they just want to salvage and spare lives. They want to comfort those suffering. For them, the bottom line is accidents happen. Uh, people are imperfect. And when accidents happen, damage takes place. People get wounded. And in their Intention. The paramedic's primary interest is just putting the foremost focus on things like stopping the bleeding and salvaging lives and doing what they can to the best of their ability to get people on a path towards recovery and healing. Now, when you think about Jesus, what do you primarily envision Jesus to be more like? A police officer or a paramedic? I would say to you what we see in the Bible when we read it about the Lord Jesus, 
I envision Jesus a lot more like I would refer to as a spiritual paramedic. Someone who greatly desires to just bring the help that's necessary. And I think this passage, John chapter 9, really is a very fitting illustration that about our Lord. It reveals his heart. It reveals his ways, how he operates and serves and ministers people, that despite what happened in people's lives or maybe even why people are in the condition that they're in, that Jesus, above all else, just wants to help people with what they're struggling with because love matters most. And I think this is a beautiful picture to illustrate that about our Lord. Look with me, if you would, back up again in verse 1. Let's look at our text together. It tells us on this day that Jesus, as he passed by, it says, saw a man who was blind from birth. So as Jesus is again here, remember, moving through the temple area, we read here that he takes notice of, and it seems that his attention is kind of fixated now on, there's his apparent interest on this one particular blind man. Now, it's important to understand, as we talk about a blind person, it says particularly this man had been blind from birth, being blind in that day in the ancient culture was much more debilitating and it was much more difficult than it would be to be blind in today's culture, though certainly it's not easy in any stage of life. But in that day, it was all the more difficult because uh, in that day, keep in mind, most of the work in that culture was manual labor. You worked in fields, you operated a trade. So because of that, blindness in that day really hindered a person's capacity for function and survival in that culture of the day in which Christ was living in. It was very typical and customary for those blind, usually to dwell around the temple area. And the reason was because of their situation, they typically would have to beg for help or contributions because that really was their best form of survival. As I said, they usually were debilitated and unable with that particular disability in that culture to be able to work manual labor jobs, as well as the fact in that day and age, there were no disability checks. There were no forms of assistance to help people in those kind of situations. So they usually had to beg in hopes that they might acquire some contribution or charitable assistance from those who were passers-by. So they typically dwell around the temple area where worshipers would be moving about and would give them sort of the opportunity to benefit maybe from someone's kindness or generosity. Now, with that understanding, it's possible Jesus had passed by, it says here, and he went through the temple many times of his three years of ministry. It's possible he's passed this blind man at other times, but on this day, in this moment, Jesus becomes uniquely interested, it says, in this one particular blind man. It says in our text as he passed by, he sees this man. He's probably seen him before, but he sees this man who had been blind from birth. Now, take into consideration that as well. He had been blind from birth, which means this man never in his life has had the capacity to be able to see anything or to see anyone. He's never seen the face of his loved ones. He's never seen anything that he hears people talking about. He has lived in a world of darkness. He has no concept of light. He has no ability to understand what it's like to be able to see things clearly or to be able to understand something whereby a person would say, Oh, okay, now I see what you mean. He has no concept of any of these things. He has been blinded to the realities of life's existence, and that's been his norm 
all of his life. That's, this is all he's ever known is living in the world of darkness, born in that hindered or disabled condition. And Jesus being fully aware of his condition and all the experiences that are attached to what this man has coped with from his birth with this particular struggle in his life and how long Jesus now sets his sights on him in loving compassion. And it seems at this moment now, Jesus sort of dials in on this man. And it seems that the disciples probably become aware that Jesus has a, an interest in this particular individual, whether he was just stopping and staring over him or he beginning to move towards him or he in some way pointed to him, whatever. But the disciples now recognize Jesus's attention is drawn and dialed in on this man in compassion and I want you to notice as we go through this, the reason that Jesus is interested in this man is not to assess why he's like that. It's not to assess why is he in that condition. Instead, it is to assist him to overcome the condition he's currently struggling with. And I think this is very beautiful because Jesus, we see in the passage, wants to perform a work of God to help this man for the glory of God. And can I say to you, the Bible that we read tells us that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen. And today, Jesus has the same heart of compassion, the same love for people. And there are times and occasions when he sees a person in a condition, however long they've been in that condition, and whatever the condition may be. For this man, it was blindness. For other people, it's other things. But Jesus sees people in their condition, and he's moved with compassion and he's interested in wanting to help people, to give them the grace, the power, the help to overcome. And he knows how long it's been and all the experiences that go with it. But yet his present power and his compassion is there. And he's wanting to do a work of God in people's lives to assist them with what they're dealing with, with what their struggle may be. And can I say this morning, perhaps maybe that's you. Perhaps maybe you today, like this man sitting there in the temple, you're here in the house of God, and perhaps Jesus knows exactly what it is you've been dealing with, what the struggle is, what the hindrance is, what the challenge is, what the condition may be. And listen, perhaps today is your day. And maybe Jesus wants to help you today. He wants to assist you to overcome. And maybe he's dialed in on you and you're thinking no one in this room knows, no one in this room cares, and you have no idea the invisible guest, Jesus among us, may be dialed in on you more than anyone else because he cares about what you're going through. And he wants to help you graciously. In this day, he's not looking to assess what's the matter with you. Why are you in that condition? But perhaps to assist you so that you don't have to be in that condition because maybe he wants to give you his power to overcome it. So as Jesus' attention is drawn to this man, as we move now to verse 2, it seems the disciples recognize he's focused there and they now become interested in this man as well. Go on with me, look at verse 2. It says, his disciples now ask him about this man blind from birth, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind. Now, I want you to notice in that question there, there's a reflection of both two things, the common mindset of the religious teachers of that day, as well as, I think, the unhealthy, perhaps, heart condition or the weakness of the human heart condition of the disciples for having that kind of curiosity. They ask this question for a reason, and you notice what they're interested in. They want to figure out what is the reason why... 
this man is in this condition. This is what they're curious about or interested in. They want to know who's responsible, who sinned, whose particular or specific sin was it that as a direct result now has caused this man to be in that condition. Who's done something wrong? Was it him or his parents? What specific sin brought upon the consequence or the punishment of this man that's now seen in his physical handicap or in his suffering? Now, as I said, that reveals what was the common teaching in that day of the religious leaders. They taught that physical forms of suffering, sickness, disease, disability was basically an indication of the scourge of God or the punishment of God upon a person. They taught that even a parent's sin could be then judged by God through afflicting their child that was then born to them. So if you were a parent and you had a child that was born sick or disabled, that was God judging you for some sin that you had committed and therefore rendering that punishment outwardly against your life by afflicting your child. They also taught that it was even possible, as ludicrous as it seems to me, that a child could somehow sin in the womb. Because think what they ask. Who sinned? This man or his parents? Well, this man? He's been born blind. When did he sin? What, did he yank the umbilical cord a little too hard one time? Or, you know, give, give a, I mean, some moms would say, well, you know, a couple of the kicks I got, eh, it was pretty sinful to me. But they taught somehow that you know, prenatally in the womb, a, a child was able to sin. And therefore, if a child was born with a physical form of suffering or a handicap, that somehow that was God's disapproval upon the life of that child. And it could have been not the parents, but maybe God's disapproval against the child. And that's why they're born with that condition. Now, the, the idea, again, is the physical condition in one's body or suffering they taught was the direct cause of some specific sin and God was therefore judging that and showing his displeasure. That's why the disciples say, curiously, Rabbi, who sinned? Who was it? Who's responsible here? This man's specific sin or his parents that, for that reason, he was born blind. Now, I think it also, my perspective, also indicates their inquiry and curiosity, perhaps a weakness in their heart condition as well. Because I have to ask this question. Why are the disciples foremost concerned with why this man is in that condition rather than being foremost concerned, how can we help him since he's in that condition? Do you see what I'm saying? You notice the, the stark difference here between the heart of Jesus and the heart of his supposed followers? It's a very clear contrast here when you look at it. They want to assess the reasons, the details for why this person has the problem they have or are suffering the way they are, why they're struggling. And they want to assess what's the reasons and how come. And what does Jesus want to do? Jesus wants to assist the person who's struggling in a situation and help him with the problem. They want to spend time investigating why this happened. What happened? What transpired that caused this condition to now exist what is Jesus interested in? Not investigating. Jesus interested in focusing on implementing some help to resolve the problem, to bring a solution and to cause it to turn in a different way by walking in love. And sadly, I want to say this morning for all of us, I think we have to be really careful of having the heart of the disciples sometimes. 
But we have to be cautious sometimes that our hearts don't in an unhealthy way become focused on the wrong thing when we see someone with a problem or a struggle or some condition but we have the heart of Jesus and not necessarily the heart of the disciples here. So regardless of their motivation, the question posed is still obvious, verse 2. They're assuming, they're implying that it had to be some specific sin, his parents or his own, that have caused him as the direct result to be born with this condition, this problem and suffering. And Jesus answers their question now, verse 3, saying to them, neither this man nor his parents sin so jesus clarifies their misconception and their uh, you know way of reasoning and their evaluation of the matter was completely incorrect and he's going to tell them here they said lord who was it him or his parents is it option a or option b who's the guilty party this guy or this guy his dad or him his mom or him Who, who's the one we're, i'm trying we're trying to figure this out and jesus says here's the answer neither it's not option a and it's not option b both are wrong both options both evaluations that you're deducing in your own mind jesus is trying to say they're both incorrect they want to figure out who's at fault they're so concerned and Jesus indicates neither. It's not the specific sin he's trying to say of either him or his parents. It's not any one sin or personal sin in any form that has caused this condition. This man's suffering and physical condition was not, Jesus is saying, it was not the direct result of a specific sin that had been committed. The disability and struggle was not God judging an act of sin. Jesus makes that very clear in our text here and in his words. This man was not suffering as the result of the punishment of God upon his life. His health condition was not God rendering disapproval or judgment against an act of sin. Look at the text, verse 3. Jesus says, but, here is the reason, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. Jesus wanted to clarify this was actually something God had sovereignly allowed in this particular man's life for his greater glory and his higher purposes by how God intended, even before this man was born, God had intended and knew how he would one day work specifically in that man's life with that particular condition that he had to endure with that was difficult for the glory of himself among the earth. And what you see here is this is not God's punishment, but this was something Jesus says that God permitted for his higher and greater purposes, which was to demonstrate his glory, his love, his power on the earth as a work of God would happen in this man's life. In a sense, God allowed this as a platform so that he might reveal his love on a set day that he might reveal his power and his glory and his compassion and his grace so that he might correct wrong ideas that were existing among people in the culture and how this could be something God could use for his greater purposes this man's life had been chosen if you wouldn't set apart for God's specific and unique purpose Jesus says this happened that the works of God should be revealed in him in other words that challenging condition and it was challenging but that challenging condition for that man was in a sense a necessary means for god to be able 
to do what he's able to do now through Jesus to show the works of God that day. And if he were not dealing with it, then God will not have the divine platform to show his power, to show his love, to show his grace in that specific life because God glorifies himself through the lives of people. This is how God works. Now, when you understand that, there's almost a part of that where you have to step back and say, wow, that's called the bigger picture on life. That's called the bigger picture that God is using all things for his divine and good purposes to fulfill his plans and to reach souls and to reveal himself on the earth. Now, from this biblical text here in the words of Jesus, I think we can glean some important spiritual understanding. The first thing being this, that though, and listen, though it is true, generally, though it is true generally that the universal existence in our world of all forms of sickness and suffering and, and, and all forms of suffering among humanity, disease and just human suffering in general is the result of the entrance of sin generically into humanity at the fall of man in the Garden of Eden. And as the result of the fact that sin has now entered the race of humanity and entered into our world, we live in a cursed world and sin has a damaging and destructive effect upon everything in the earth's existence and it has its effect upon humanity and brings sickness and suffering and problems into our lives and we live in a world filled with sorrow and suffering. And though it is also true, let me say, though it is also true that sometimes highlight that word sometimes it can be true that a person's specific sinful practice or act can directly cause a harmful consequence in their life to some extent where they reap what they've sowed for example if a human being abuses alcohol or drugs it can damage their bodily functions it can cause a health issue or complications in their health. You can overdose because of that. If a person has sexual relations outside the bounds of marriage and, and enters into sexual sin or is promiscuous, that sin sexually could result in a sexually transmitted disease or possibly getting AIDS. So in a sense, the sin translates into a physical problem or suffering in some form. Again, if a mother abuses drugs while she has a child developing in her womb, that child could be born in a sense with complications in its health because of the direct result of the parent's abusive behavior with heroin or cocaine or something like that. So yes, there can be isolated situations where Sin, in a sense, can translate into suffering. That being said, to automatically assume, to automatically believe or communicate that all suffering, that health issues and problems in every person's life is always the direct result of some specific act of sin that they've committed and therefore God is sort of getting the person or he's punishing the person for that sin is totally wrong. It is unbiblical. And quite frankly, it's cruel and unloving. It's cruel and unloving. It's not what the Bible teaches. Listen, consider the life of Job. God was bragging about the godliness of Job. God was saying, look, I have nobody else on earth like this man. He's blameless and upright. He loves me. He fears me. And God is bragging about the, the tremendous godly man that he is. 
And then before you know it, Job finds himself, as the result of divine allowances and circumstances, suffering tremendously with all kinds of health issues. But again, God was allowing those things for his greater glory to reveal things to Job and to others about himself. Consider the great apostle Paul, godly man, faithful in the will of God, serving the Lord. And yet we read of Paul's life that Paul had an ongoing thorn in his flesh, some health condition. But yet it's through that health condition that Paul struggled with that God did not ever remove from his life. That it says it was that condition that allowed the power of Christ to rest upon Paul in such a way where he learned of Jesus. Paul, my grace will be sufficient for you. And Paul, my power is actually going to be demonstrated in your weakness. Paul, in a sense, I've allowed you to be weakened because I can show my power through you then because then it's not your strength. In some ways, I almost wonder if Paul was a little too strong. That was the problem. And Paul, the Lord, take this away. Take this away. This is so hard. How could you crush me? This is hard. Lord, take Don't you know this is holding me back, Lord? I got Bible studies to teach and more churches to plant and letters to write. And Lord, take this away. It's holding me back. And he says, Paul, it's not holding you back. It's actually helping you. You would hold yourself back, Paul. So this has been sovereignly permitted in your life, Paul, because it, it tempers you. It, it keeps you in a place where, in a sense, you don't get too dependent upon yourself, Paul, because you're self-sufficient and you've got strength and your strength would get in the way, Paul. So I've had to allow a little bit of this in your life to keep you balanced and to show my power through your life because that's the most important thing. Now, saying those things, I think the lesson for us becomes this too. We have to be really careful of a dangerous assumption that we all can make sometimes where we see somebody going through a problem in life. Or, or, or we see some struggle or somebody in some condition and because we all can be prone to having a critical heart in our human nature, sometimes we quickly and wrongly assume, well, there must be some sin or something wrong going on there. That, that's why they're having that problem. And we have to be careful of that because in this situation, Jesus says, neither, neither. It, it has nothing to do with sin is why that's going on. And we have to be careful because sometimes we can see somebody in a condition or struggle or problem and we automatically just come to this quick assumption that they're doing something wrong or they've done something wrong and they're reaping the consequence of it. And that may not always necessarily be the case. Let me also say this for some of you this morning. Perhaps you've endured some suffering in your life. Maybe you're dealing with a struggle. Maybe there's some condition that you have wrestled with health-wise or in any other form. And let me say, certainly it is always good. I know I check. If there's a problem or a struggle in my life, I like to keep short accounts. And, and if, if there's something that I have directly done that's caused it to be a self-inflicted trial that I've contributed to something that I'm now struggling with as a result of a poor choice or you know, a sinful decision, then I want to own up to that. And I want to admit it and ask the Lord's forgiveness and trust his healing and reconciliation. But usually when that happens, it's usually really clear. I don't have to do a lot of soul searching. It's usually pretty evident when we've done something that's caused our own affliction or condition or struggle. But many times, I'm going to go so far as to perhaps say most of the time, our life struggles and the trials and the tragedies and the health issues and the problems and the complications are not the result of some specific sin that you've committed in your life. Please, some of you need to hear this morning, 
God is not trying to punish you. Stop believing that. That is a lie from the pit of hell. God is not trying. God is a God of grace. And under the blood of Jesus Christ, you dwell in a standing in grace. God is not trying to get you. I, and that's what it is. You know, I did this, and I know I did, I did that, and, you know, I just, I knew it. You know, I, I walked away and said a curse word when Aunt Sally pinched my cheek when I was 12, and I, I know it. And then, then God, that's, so God, he just get me the rest of my life for it. Listen, God's not getting you because God got Jesus. Somebody was punished for all of my specific acts of sin. It's Jesus. And if God is punishing you for a specific act of sin, then somehow he made a mistake with what Jesus did on the cross. Because last I checked, Jesus said, it is finished, paid in full. I took the beating, punishment, and suffering for every sin of all mankind for all of human history. So we have to be wise and recognize that this is often a lie the devil wants to manipulate in our minds. It's something we struggle with because of our own self-guilt and conscience. But listen, can I liberate you this morning? God is not getting you for some specific act of sin. That is not the way that the Lord works. In fact, let me say this, it may be the exact opposite. It may be that your struggle, your challenge, the condition, what you're dealing with, it could very well be that God has allowed that, even the problem, for his greater glory. Because maybe he wants to do the works of God in your life in such a way whereby he can demonstrate his mighty work and his power and his love. And maybe like this man in this condition, what you're dealing with may be something God's allowed as a platform that the work of God might be demonstrated in your life to reveal it to you to reveal it to others who are looking at your life have you ever paused to consider that reality that's a much greater reason that's a much more encouraging thing if god wants to work through your life then accept perhaps that could be the reason lord you've allowed this that the work of god may happen in my life in a powerful way so as jesus indicates this man's life is sort of a, a condition for a divine stage for the works of God to be revealed and shown. Verse 4, Jesus then says, I must work the works of God, he says, or the works of him, excuse me, who, notice, sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. So Jesus being God, dwelling among them in human flesh, now says here, speaking of the works of God, of himself first person I must work interesting the works of him who sent me what Jesus again is very clearly indicating he was about number one to do a work of God in this man's life and number two that the work of God happened through the power and the person of Jesus Christ while he was on the earth because he was God manifested in human flesh and Jesus says here in our text you see the verse he says I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day he says before the night came now day and night here in verse 4 basically illustrate limited spans of time daytime we have what we call what daylight and when you have daylight hours it's a set amount of hours but then it comes to an end and what Jesus is indicating is he has a limited and set amount of time as a man in the flesh to perform his acts of public ministry and the wonderful things that he did before his crucifixion and death came. Nighttime or night brings what? It brings a change. It brings the stop usually of labor and activity because as darkness encroaches, 
it forces activity to cease or come to a close. And what Jesus is indicating here is soon, according to God's plan and timetable, Jesus was going to, in a sense, submit to the encroaching darkness of sinful men who are going to cry out for his death sentence as he dies upon the cross for the sins of the world. And that would be the culmination of God's plan, but also, listen, it would be the conclusion of Jesus's earthly ministry in a body of flesh as he was going about ministering, doing the works of God. That's why we see Jesus saying here, I must work the works of the Father who sent me while it is day, he says, because the night's coming. His ministry was about to come to a close. He sensed the timetable of ministry was drawing to a close. In a matter of a few months, we know historically Jesus would be dying upon the cross for the sins of the world. But he also knew that the Father had sent him into the world, listen, not just to die for sins alone. That was wonderful. But it was not only for that purpose. Jesus also came to the earth to do loving and mighty works of God to help relieve those suffering under the pain and the struggle of the effects and the damaging influences of sin that existed in the world. Sin and Satan want to rob, kill, and destroy life and everything that's good for humanity. Jesus wants to help and to heal and to restore and to do good by performing the works of God. Listen to Acts 10. It says this of Jesus and his earthly ministry as a man. It says, Jesus, with the Holy Spirit and power, went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. What a great description of the ministry of Jesus as a man. He just went about doing good. That's a great ministry description. He just went about doing good to help people. And can I say that's great? Because listen, our world, there's a lot of bad stuff that goes on in our world. There's a lot of bad stuff that happens on this earth in so many different ways. Sin's existence and influence has caused so much suffering and so much struggle and so many bad things to happen and so many hurtful experiences. And while Jesus on earth, his focus was going about just doing good, just doing good wherever he could, wherever opportunity presented. That's why he's saying I must do these works while time allows for me to do so while the door is open and before the opportunity passes by. Jesus could not sit by passively, but he capitalized on opportunities when they were there to do good. And can I say, if the spirit of Jesus lives in me and you now as his followers, that should be what's prompting us in our hearts to let the Lord use our lives to do the same, to do good on his behalf in our world. Jesus says, verse five, as long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. So he reminds them once again, until he departs and returns back to heaven from where he came, that he desired to supply light for those who were struggling by living in this dark world. This reminds us of what Jesus said just in the last chapter in John chapter eight, where he said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Again, in a, in a dark world that causes so many to struggle and stumble in the dark, people say, you know, I feel like I'm living in the dark. I feel like I'm stumbling in the dark. Well, and there's a part of that that's true. But Jesus is the one who wants to give light. He wants to illuminate our understanding to help people do things like find their way. Don't people say, I'm just trying to find my way. I'm just trying to find my way. I'm trying to find my way. 
I can't find my way. Listen, because you need to find the way. His name's Jesus. He said, I'm the way, the truth and the life. And if you find Jesus and you follow Jesus, you found the way. It makes life real simple. Lord, you're the way. Which way are we going? I'm up again here. I'm awake again today. I'm following you. That makes my life real simple. I just follow Jesus and I know I'm in the right way. And Jesus wants to give that light to help people to know how to live well, to see things properly. And he says, as long as I'm in the world, in a body of flesh, this, this is my ministry. This is my role to provide light to the world. Now, obviously, Jesus has gone back into heaven. Now he's risen from the dead and ascended back to the Father. Jesus hasn't ceased to be the light of the world. So now how does he do that? Well, now the Bible says he does that through you and I. Because Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, you are are his followers you are the light of the world the spirit of the risen jesus lives in us as christians and we're now to let our light shine before men so they can see good works and come to glorify and know the father in heaven so jesus makes this statement verse six goes on to say and when he had said these things he spat on the ground made clay with the saliva and then anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. So after Jesus finishes speaking of how he must do the works of the Father and how he is the light of the dark world, he does something, would you say, is a little bit unusual. Now, again, I want you, I want you to sincerely envision in your mind here this scene and being a blind man, cannot see anything that's going on. Perhaps there's a brief moment of silence after Jesus makes his statements. And remember, typically when somebody is, is blind, their other senses become more heightened. It's a way to help cope. Typically, if someone's blind, they have very heightened and good hearing because that's their coping mechanism because they can't see or, or their touch is all the more sensitive. So this man has perhaps heightened hearing ability. He's sitting there in the dark. He hears Jesus say these things and then all of a sudden he hears... Then all of a sudden, he hears somewhere probably nearby him. As Jesus is making a you know, mud meatball. Then all of a sudden, he just feels two wet mud patties. The first facial treatment in the Bible. Just two wet, nasty, I'm sorry, it's spit. Mud patties put on his eyes. In the midst, I mean, imagine this experience. I have to say, I'm sure it didn't feel pleasant. I bet you it wasn't an enjoyable experience. It's likely even something maybe that caused a little bit of irritation. Maybe even some pain and discomfort. Have you ever had something in your eye? This guy just got two mud pies in his eye. So this guy, without listen, without seeing it coming, without even knowing why in the world this is happening to him, He's already in a tough situation. There's no forewarning. There's no explanation. I have to imagine it was quite unpleasant. It even caused some discomfort. In fact, let me say this. In some ways, maybe even for those watching, it almost looks kind of like a little unkind, like a little cruel. I mean, you just spit on the ground, you know, mud patty and ill. And now you're doing to this poor guy. You're putting dirt in his eye. He's already blind. Again, why would Jesus do this? It, it actually almost looks like he makes the situation almost harder than it already was. Right? 
Now, you look at this scene and let me just say, I don't know why and I don't understand all the reasons why the Lord chooses to work in the ways that he does. What I do know is this, one thing for sure, his love and his wisdom directs everything that he does. And the second thing I know is this, he ultimately has a good purpose in the end whenever and however he works all throughout this earth. And I think one thing we have to recognize in this situation, again, put yourself back into the scene. These are literal events. I'm sure by Jesus doing what he just did with that man, I am absolutely certain that man now is strongly awakened to a desire and to a, a motivation to what? Seek a solution to his own personal problem. I assure you, I guarantee you, that guy at that moment now with mud in his eye is laser focused to want to find relief, to want to find help for his personal solution and issue. He, like never before, I bet you, was very, very motivated to find a solution because he's been stirred to that now. He's been stirred to act. Let me say, that's a much better condition to be in, in my opinion, than just being indifferent and apathetic. It's a much better condition than just being apathetic, indifferent, where you just sit there in life in the same old condition and you just grow accustomed to your misery. And you just develop this attitude, whatever. Life stinks and then you die. And my life stinks. Quite frankly, it's stinking from when I was born. And so I go, Whatever, whatever with everybody else, whatever with everything, just whatever. And, and, and you settle for this substandard form of living where you grow accustomed to your misery and you just become apathetic and totally indifferent. Hey, sometimes Jesus needs to and will do certain things in our lives to stir us up a little bit. Sometimes in his love and greater wisdom than we have for ourselves, he has got to do something in such a way that we can't ignore our life anymore. And that all of a sudden we find ourselves compelled, motivated that we've got to do something. We have to act. We've got to take action somehow in our life. And, and look, that is not him doing something cruel. That's because he loves us. And that's because he cares about us and he wants the highest ideal for our life and therefore he will sovereignly work in ways at times to accomplish that. The Bible says in Proverbs, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Jesus is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And when someone is wounded, that makes them seek help. And so Jesus here does this and perhaps this morning, again, the Lord has maybe stirred up your life's nest a little bit recently. Maybe he's even put a little mud in your eye. Say, Lord, oh man, how'd you do this? I thought you loved me. Lord, I thought you loved me. How? This hurts. This is hard. Lord, I, I don't understand. And maybe, just maybe, he's got your attention a little bit. Maybe you can't be apathetic about life now and what really matters. Maybe all of a sudden there's this heightened awareness in your life that you need to seek what you need for yourself. 
And you need to find some solutions and, and do something to find some help. And if he's got your attention, can I just say, listen to maybe what he might say to you now. Pay attention to what he might show you because now he's got your attention. I found in my life, I'll be very humbly honest here, as I face challenges, I like you. I hate affliction, difficulty, trials. I'd much rather take the correspondence course, you know, I'll observe somebody else's trials. But that's not life. And I've found that when trials come like you, I want to pray, Lord, get me out of this, get me out of this, get me out of this, get me out of this. And the Lord has taught me, I feel like more over my whining and complaining when challenges come into my life, to realize that sometimes when the challenges come, I shouldn't be praying, Lord, get me out of this. I should be praying, Lord, what do you want me to get out of this? What do you want me to get out of this? Because, Lord, there are things more important than just me having a comfortable little world. And if there are greater, deeper life lessons of what really matters and things that would let me see you and see things, Lord, what do you want me to get out of this? And sometimes those are the occasions where the Lord powerfully does a work of God in our life, maybe to show us something about himself or sometimes maybe to show us something about ourself that we need to see and we need to learn and we need to let God work with in our life so that we can experience his better plan. Well, after Jesus does this, then with no other explanation, look at the last verse, with no other explanation, he puts on the mud pies and he says to this man, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. Notice the play on word, Jesus the sent one. So he went and washed and came back Seeing, So here's where the miracle of God's revelation starts to unfold. Jesus gives him a simple command to make his way to the pool of Siloam. The Bible tells us here that word Siloam is translated. It means sent. And who's Jesus? He is the sent one from heaven. The one from heaven that God the Father sent to open eyes. Isaiah 29, 35, 42. These prophecies tell us that God, when he sent the Messiah, one of the identifying marks of God's Messiah is that he would open the eyes of the blind, that they would no longer sit in darkness. This man now has nothing other than two things. Think about this. He's got a really strong motivation within that he has got to do something to find some help and relief or solution. And he has the word of Jesus who has just said to him, Nothing more than go wash in the pool of the sent one. And the journey was not close to make his way through the temple. You can imagine he had to stumble his way through. Plus, he's got dirt in his eye to get down to the place of the pool of Siloam. But what does he have to lose? Nothing. So he takes the word of Jesus at faith, believing it will help him, maybe resolve things. And verse 7 says, so he went and washed and came back seeing miracle miraculous miracle his eyes are open the power of God comes to pass and he experiences a transformation in his life everything changed from that point forward listen in John's gospel we get a few different miracles or miraculous signs that Jesus performed and understand this miracle no different than the others is given to us because it signifies a greater miracle that can happen and that is where Jesus opens a person's eyes spiritually. And he gives a person spiritual sight. See, the Bible teaches we are all born spiritually blind. 
blinded to sin's deception and its effect upon our lives. For years and years, many times we don't even see it. We don't even know we're spiritually born blind. We don't know the lights are out on the inside. We don't understand what we're missing. Acts 26, Jesus says that he wants to open our eyes spiritually to turn us from darkness to light. And like this man, we're, we're born in that condition. We didn't cause it. We're all universally born sinful by nature and we're blinded spiritually. And sometimes Jesus in all of our lives on a set day and a set time, he works in a unique way to begin to get our attention. Because he wants to open our eyes spiritually and let us see what it means to have a relationship with God. And usually he ends up showing to us, listen, it's actually a lot more simple than you're really thinking. You don't got to do all kinds of religious stuff. You just need to go and wash in the pool of the sent one. And the blood of the sent one, Jesus Christ, who died for your sins on the cross and rose again, will cleanse your guilt and sin, take that off of your conscience, and your eyes will be opened. All this is what it means to know God. Wow. And all of a sudden, I once was blind, but now I see. Amazing grace. Now, for those of us who are Christians this morning as well, let's not be naive. Sometimes our own perspective becomes blinded because of sin's effect in our lives. Maybe we err a little bit spiritually and our windshield gets a little bit blurry or the effects of sin because of some situation and we've lost the ability to see clearly ourselves sometimes. And if that's the case, I tell you, Jesus wants to help open our eyes so we can see clearly again. And sometimes maybe there's something that agitates that stirs it up. And I think sometimes the answer of Jesus, if we're not seeing clearly, sometimes the answer to Jesus, and maybe it's for one of you or some of you this morning, is Jesus saying, listen, you need to go back and wash in the pool of the sent one. You need to bring this back just to the foot of the cross and wash and say, Lord, help me to stop focusing on the wrong things. Your blood was shed to cleanse everything. And Lord, would you give me my perspective back? I've lost my perspective. And Jesus may be calling some of you to do that very thing. And Jesus said this, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Let's stand together. Let's pray.